Hey, this is Tyler Powell, and you are now listening to Left Coast Pirates. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around it in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is January 23rd, 2022. Mikey, I always ask you how you're doing, and you never ask me. So I'm just going to tell you how I'm doing today. I, well, I, I'm just an insensitive jerk. That's why, right? <laughs> I think we all know that by now. So you know what? I had one heck of a basketball weekend, Mike. Not only did Seton Hall pull one out, but my girls, rec league basketball, we had a really good weekend. Oh, you, you, you want me to expound? This is why I don't ask you. I, 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 this is about Seton Hall basketball. It's not about Casa de Gaharski basketball. I am sorry it doesn't include your brother-in-law or your brother or your neighbor or whoever you normally talk about. You, you want to hear about the first practice for Little League? You want to hear about the flag football that kicked off this weekend? Uh, what else do you, you want to hear this about? This is why you're an un- insensitive jerk, Mike. This is why. <laughs> why. So how was your weekend, Michael? Uh, insensitive jerk is me giving the, the opening monologue and telling you, you know what? There are people that are out there that are going to say a win is a win. And yes, the Pirates needed something to get back on course and get back in the win column. But let's face reality. This was an ugly basketball game to kick off Saturday morning. And, I, and I'm happy the Pirates ended up on the right side of the ledger in this one. But instead of me giving you my opinion as to how this game really looked uh, to the naked eye, I'm just going to go right to the social media post of the week uh, to kick off the episode. And I'm going to give credit to HBK MYR on Rivals. And he described this game as the following. This game goes into the category of someone had to win. I, I, I wish, think that I sums wish, it up. I wish we could figure out what the heck that that uh, that stands for. That's like one of those guys who gets a uh, vanity plate that you can't figure out. You know, you spend 75 extra dollars on a vanity plate and you can't figure out what it means. But Seton Hall has had these types of wins in the past, right? I mean, they're the Isaiah Whitehead team that made the, the NCAA tournament his sophomore season. They had a game at the Garden that was fairly ugly, that they needed a bailout call for Isaiah to go to the free throw line and sink two to pull one out late in that game. So you know, th- there will be games throughout a season where you're like, how did we win that one? Or we didn't win that one pretty. But at the end of the day, it just goes in the win column. And that's all that matters especially when it's a road game in conference play. But I, we're going to break this down. It was, it was still an ugly basketball game. Well, this week on the podcast, we will recap the Seton Hall win against the Johnnies in Madison Square Garden. We will preview the upcoming game against St. John's at Walsh Gymnasium. 
and we will go behind enemy lines with Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reporter Ben Steele to talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles. But wait a first, you, you, wait, you normally start off by saying the hated Marquette Golden Eagles. You already cut I that out of your spiel already, already, huh? Wojo's gone. Theo John's gone. Color me bed's gone. Who, who can I hate? I just, it's funny how, how your emotions just change like year to year, day to day. Come on. All right. Man. Well, James breeding is hated at this point. I don't know what to tell you, Mike, but first Seton hall, 66 St. John 60 Seton hall got off to another slow start, letting the Johnnies race out to an eight Oh lead, but the pirates answered back with a 10 Oh run of their own. The teams played even the rest of the first half as Trey Jackson hit a three to send it to the break, tied at 28. The Pirates came out strong out of the break and built a nine-point lead that was immediately met by a 9-2 run by the Johnnies to cut the deficit to 48-46. But the Pirates regrouped behind a strong second-half performance from Miles Kale to extend the lead and close it out from the free throw line. Stats on this one. Miles Kale, 37 minutes, 21 points, 7 of 14 from the floor. Tom, and he hit his free throws, 5 of 6. And I forgot to add in that he had nine rebounds as well. Sorry about that. Alexis Yetna, my lunch pail guy, right? You, you hate that. So he's not my junkyard dog. He's my lunch pail guy now, baby. 16 points, 15 rebounds. And Ike Obiago, he's just going to slap that rebound number in your face from here to the end of the end of his career. Another nine rebounds, seven blocks in 19 minutes of play. It's not my face. He's slapping it. And I knew he had it in him. You were the one that said he can't block everything and grab boards. Look at him. He's save still blocking everything it. and Sa- grabbing I'm half, boards. I'm halfway through the stats. Save it. Opponents, Aaron Wheeler, 13 points, seven rebounds. But here's where, where there was a big difference in the game. Champagny, Alexander, and Adai Wusu combined for only 23 points. Seven of 37 for their big three. 19% total. And the team shooting collectively was not much better. Seton Hall, 23 of 68, 34% for the day. St. John's, 22 of 75 for a paltry 29%. Seton Hall pounded them on the glass. A season high in the Big East, 60 rebounds to St. John's 43, a plus 17 margin. But the turnovers went in St. John's favor. Kind of not really you know, too unpredictable here. 17 turnovers for Seton Hall, nine for St. John's. Tom, here's my turning point in this one. Score is 48 to 46. And there is this monster putback from Kadari Richmond to start a 9-3 run that is bookended by a Miles Kale three-pointer that was an answer to an Aaron Wheeler three-pointer to push the lead right back up to eight. There was a couple key plays there by Seton Hall, and after Wheeler hit that three-pointer, I was like, I don't know. This might get St. John's jump-started for one last run down the stretch, and then Kale hit the big bucket to give him that cushion, and they really weren't threatened beyond that. I think if Kadari doesn't get the, whoa, did you see that moment of the day, Maybe St. John's comes back and ties the game, but they never got the game tied in the second half. And that was the breathing room that Seton Hall needed in order to kind of, I don't want to say coast to the victory, but kind of, you know, have that little cushion to get them to the finish line. It was definitely 
a hard game on the eyes like you mentioned earlier mikey but you know who had himself a spectacular game let me say it. let me let, let me say I'll, I'll, miles kale i was gonna say let, let me back. let me give the guy his props I, I i will bow down to miles in this one i'll sit there and and give him his credit you know we get there's the dr jekyll and mr hyde of miles kale career and you got the Dr. Jekyll version of Miles on this one when Seton Hall needed it the most. So go ahead. Give him his praise. He deserves it. He was the man in this one. See, you know, I don't know that I, I agree with that. I think this was the Mr. Hyde version because he was an absolute monster out there, Mike. <laughs> 21 and 9, like you mentioned. 16 of those points in the second half. Scored nine of the last 14 Seton Hall points, Mike. And he actually hit free throws, which has been a it, it that free throw shooting this year has been in his head. Yeah, but the, but the reason why this was probably his well, I think it was easily his best game of the year as a pirate. But you could even argue that this ranks up there with one of his best games ever as a pirate, because in addition to the offensive output, he also played his lockdown defense again on Julian Champagny, holding him to three of 14 for a total of nine points. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the first time he has not scored double figures in 40 consecutive games. He had posted double figures before that nine point effort. So we were concerned that in miles drop off in recent play, that his defense was really kind of slacking as well. And he brought it on both ends of the floor. So as, and here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to defend miles here because then people will take a performance like this and expect it over and over again. I just want to see Miles continue to bring the effort that he brought on the defensive end. I think that's where he's our unspoken leader and gets the team in the right position, raises the energy level, and he's going to get that same assignment against Champagny in back-to-back games here, as you mentioned, when we play St. John's again in Walsh on Monday night. I don't think you could expect him to put you put in 15-plus, 21 points, on a given night. That's just, that's not who he is. So this is not the miles kale breakout game. Can can we accept that though? Going forward? Oh, 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 you're beyond it. We already know miles is who miles is. Uh, You know, I've, I've talked myself blue in the face saying that we, we have never used him to his skill set. But yes, we, we should be able to expect double digit scoring. We should see 10 points, 12 points, something of that nature, hustle on defense, you know, but yeah, no, you're not. You're if you're expecting 21 points uh, a night from Miles, that that's a little bit much at this but, point. But I'll say this: I mean, we're going to talk about some of the other guys that had no shows or or uh, struggled offensively in this one later on in sour grapes and gripes. But when Seton Hall gets their typical offensive production from their you know leading scorers, and then Miles gives you that breakout game, they're a tough damn team to beat. I think when Miles plays at that level combined with the rest of his teammates, they're one of the toughest teams to beat in this country. What was unique about this one is other guys struggled and Miles put it upon himself to say, I'm going to carry you to the finish line in this one. That has never been his MO other than that, like monster Georgetown game he had, but, but that was a 30 point runaway. So, I mean, but this was down the stretch. I'm going to be the guy. It wasn't like he got 15 points in the first half and then faded away for another three. He got the majority of his points in crunch time when the Pirates needed it. I'm normally giving Miles a lot of shots. I have to tip my cap to Miles on this one. So great, great game for Miles. Who else had big games? 
the front court had big games, Mikey. At the four and the five, we are one tough team. Well, I mean, out of the three transfers, Alexis Yetna is clearly making the biggest strides at this point in the season. I mean, Kadari had that that monster breakout game against UConn, but in terms of consistency, him and Ike are just locking down the front line in, in recent games. I mean, they had 24 boards combined in this one, but it just doesn't stop there. If you keep on rewinding the clock back, 29 combined rebounds against Marquette, 15 versus DePaul. Tom, that's an average of like 23 per game in the last three. And Ike and his blocks are off the charts. 25 in his last four. He's about to pass Sam Dellenbear for the career shot blocking record at Seton Hall. I think he's only like three behind. You Did you really my, think we were going to see that at a at a Ike, Ike at one point? See, this is what I expect out of you, Mike. I say the four and the five, and you just simply forget one of the big pieces to go along with that as well. Tyree Samuel breaks out of his post-COVID slump, goes in for eight and ten, and not a word mentioned from you, like he owes you money or something. I, I might have had a chance to continue my diatribe, but you were gonna you were gonna cut me off before you gave me a chance to. It, it's it's a unique dynamic right now. Clearly, those are the two starters. And we debated in the beginning of the season: Does Ike come off the bench? Is Tyrese gonna challenge Yetna for the starting minutes? I think we have to accept at this point that there's gonna be moments where Tyrese can reach his potential and have that 19 point performance put in double-digit rebounds. I mean, he quietly had 10 rebounds in this game, but the starting role has been cemented now by Yetna going forward. Don't you agree? I mean, Mike, what are we doing here? Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back for, for things that are obvious here? You know, like no, next, no. Thing gonna, next thing you're going to tell me is that, you know, Seton Hall's offensive struggles uh, come from their isolation offense. I mean, what's <laughs> no. going on here, man? Where, where I was going with this is if you look at the minutes distribution, you had Yetna, yield 30 minutes of play in this last game and Trey only had 10 and then Ike had 19 and Tyrese had 21. So, I mean, it's, it's easy math to sit there and say, but at the four spot, Yetna and Trey split the minutes and at the five spot, Ike and Samuel split the minutes. But I mean, the way Ike's playing, should he really be splitting minutes with Tyrese? We've got to try to find a way to get Tyrese to be playing the way he was playing at the Texas and Rutgers a junction of the season because he was changing the game in those two matchups. But where do you fit him in with how well Yetna and Ike are playing? You're you're asking whether you get Samuel that many minutes if Ike's playing well. But I mean, they're both dominating here, and you're getting actually some offensive action out of Tyrese, where basically you're not getting that out of obiagu i mean come on let's be honest here sometimes you need a little change of pace you need some scoring from that spot i i don't I'd, disagree I don't i'd disagree. like to see i'd like to see trey get a few more minutes at maybe like the three backing up um rodin because i i think we're leaving a lot of money on the table there i mean trey has been playing well so far this year man you know giving him some makeup minutes for yetna i mean that's i don't think that's a good uh good move there all right, so then let's let's connect the dots here. Let's transition over to Sour Grapes and Grapes, and let's talk about Jared, because Jared has struggled recently, and his struggles continued in this game in particular. You know, he has six points, 2-11 from the floor, two turnovers. He fouled out. He seems frustrated. But it's not just, you know, a couple-game stretch here. Tom, I went back and looked at some of the numbers. In his last nine games, 
That's, that's a big sample of basketball here. 38% from the floor, 21% from three. He's averaging just under 15 shot attempts per game. And here's another thing that kind of jumped off the page to me. Jared was really effective at getting into the lane, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line at a high rate per game. First seven games, 50 free throws. His last nine games in that same stretch where he struggled, only 30 free throw attempts. So, I mean, something is off with Jared, and I wonder what it is. Maybe Coach can give us some insight. So I think now might be a good time to do an early transition to our favorite segment. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. Come on, Tommy. That, that, that was a good one. That was a good one. That, that, was, that was a spectacular one, Mike. I, I, I thought that was good. You know, I mean, you're always teasing me about my transitions. You know, you, to be honest with you, Mike, your transitions are crap normally. And that was a really <laughs> good one, Mike. I'm, I'm really proud of you on that one. But in the post game after the Johnny's game, Gary, who made a comeback here, he's feeling better, I guess. He's calling the games again. Asked Coach about just that. Tell me what's going on with Jared Roden right now. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think Jared's playing very well. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that, that you know, he's, he's playing really well. He's playing really hard. Um, and, you know, we talked about it before the game. You know, since we've been back, since we got, kind of got back out of COVID, um, our offense, you know, some of the things we were running offensively, in December, we really we haven't gotten away from, but we really haven't been able to work on it because the first two games we came back, we only had seven guys, so we kind of went pick and roll heavy. Um, and he's not getting the same um, shots or uh, looks that he was getting in December. And I think it's just it's just a matter of fact that we just haven't been able to run the same stuff that we've been able to run. Um, and he's he's getting you know he's he's getting stuck with the shot clock late and having to take some tough shots. Oh, wow. Let's start at the top of that segment. Jared's playing very good. But what, what about the numbers that I read off to you to start this segment is telling you that Jared is playing very good right now? Well, well, I'm going to say this. You can even tell from the way Jared's behaving on court uh, after a ref is calling a foul, when a ref doesn't call a foul, he's frustrated. So the last thing you want is coach piling on top of that getting jared more frustrated so i i mean i i'll give coach a pass on that you know you you're trying to stay positive here and get a guy that you need going going yeah I, I think we should change this segment and say here's what coach said and here's what coach should have said right i'm gonna be coach's <laughs> pr specialist again i don't think he should have thrown his best player or the perceived best player under the bus and be like, yeah, he sucks right now. And he's killing us with some of his shot selection. Of course, he's not going to say that. But I think Willard could have said something along the lines of, hey, Jared's pressing a little bit right now. And you know what? I think he's trying to do a little bit too much. I want to see him kind of get more into the flow of the game. You know, let the game come to him. Jared had done a great job previously of finding other ways to score, get out in transition crash the offensive glass and i just gotta you know emphasize to him that hey you're gonna get your shots you're gonna get your opportunity to score the basketball you don't have to force the mid-range jumper the way he's been forcing that mid-range jumper hey maybe i need to go back and look at the film and say hey that 50 free throws versus the 30 in the last 
in the last nine. I got to encourage him to get back into the paint, try to get back to that free throw line. So many different ways that he could have handled it. But once again, back to the offensive sets. Well, what offensive sets did he run for Jared early in the season versus what's different now? He ran ISO for Jared and Jared just took it all the way to the rim. Now Jared has been scouted They're They're kind of not backing off, preventing him from getting to the rim. That gave him the open mid-range shot. Now they're playing up on that mid-range shot and he's contested. It's a difficult attempt and he's putting up a lot of them. And they're not at the end of the shot clock. They're, they're early on where he's putting his head down. He's determined that he's going to take the basketball and be the guy who's on, on this possession is going to be the one hoisting it up. He's just got to take a deep breath and realize that there's depth. There's other talent on this team. And if we share the basketball, he'll find a way to get it back and get his. Yeah. You know, going back to coach saying that they were running more offensive sets early in the season prior to the pause. I, I, I don't think that's the case at all. I think what's happening was uh, you were getting more successful runs at the ISO. You, you balls were dropping, you know, guys were getting to the rack. Uh, so that, that, that's what's changed. The offense hasn't changed. The card hasn't been reduced because of any kind of lack of practice time. This is the same offense they were running uh, earlier this season. And I would say that this is actually similar to the offense he's run for 11 years. Come on. They didn't beat Michigan and Texas by putting up scores in the mid to upper 80s. They, they won rock fights in the, in the 60s because of their defense, right? I mean, come on. All right. Uh, speaking of guys who struggled in this game, and, and I think the outcome could have been a bigger margin of victory if uh, just a few more shots were to fall and he could get into rhythm better. But Kadari Richmond, I, I couldn't believe it when I went back and saw the final box score because it didn't feel that way during the game. Tom, he finished three of 19 from the floor to go with seven turnovers, six in the first half. He did cut it down to only one in the second, and he did have eight assists total, but he didn't have any in the second half. Did it really feel like Kadari shot three of 19 until you saw the final tally? You know, again, uh, you know, I had to watch the second half of that game uh, after I got back from rec basketball for my daughters. And when you texted me saying he had eight assists in that first half, I, I was dumbfounded. I, I was like, what? I couldn't believe that 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 stat was correct. Uh, and it's just odd. He cut down both his assist and his turnover numbers in the second half because he, he went straight ISO one-on-one and here's the thing. They weren't that bad. I mean, there were opportunities where maybe he could have kicked it back out and we could have gotten an open three, but I mean, he was missing shots from point blank, you know, five feet and in on most of those attempts. So, you know, I mean, is he going to miss that many that often? If if he would have gone six of 19 or seven of 19, and got a couple more of those to go. You're like, okay, he had to log 38 minutes in this one. So, yeah, maybe his legs were tired or, you know, he, he had a little, little extra attention from the defense. So we'll cut him some slack. But if he makes three or four more buckets, Seton Hall's winning this by double figures. See, I don't believe that. What I believe is this reminded me a lot of the same thing you were complaining about Tyrese the past couple of weeks. He might have been getting to the basket, but the level of difficulty on the shots he was trying to attempt was very high. It, it's okay. not like okay. he was just getting straight up bunnies that he was just missing i mean he missed a few bunnies don't get me wrong he did he did but there were a lot of difficult 
drives. So, you know, so all right. Yeah. So, so you make the Tyrese comparison, and I was tough on Tyrese when we talked about him recently. I called him the black hole. Uh, do you want to say that Kadari made up his mind in all of those possessions that he was taking the shot? The same criticism that we're passing judgment on with Jared Roden right here is we're getting a lot of situations where players are like, this is my possession. I'm getting mine. Did but, you feel like that's the way you would describe Kadari in his well, shot but, selection? But one? What was different about this past game than the UConn game? The he's difference making them. was the ball well, making them. Right. The ball was going in the hole, but he's still taking these shots. So, you know, he, he's a scorer. He thinks the next one's going down. So, and, and he's feeling like I can get to the rim at any time I want. And, you know, this is the stuff that's, that he's going to have to balance out where, and, and coach is going to need to make an adjustment. No, no. I just, I think if a player has a breakout game, it does not mean that we now expect 27 every night out. Just like we said, we're not expecting miles to go back out in the next one and put up another 21. Give me some more lockdown D on Champagny. But in his last three games after the UConn matchup, 25 points combined. So 27 against UConn. And then he comes up with 25 combined and he goes eight for 36 at a 22% clip. And he's got 17 assists and 12 turnovers. I, I don't want to go off the deep end here. I love that Kadari's on our team, but he puts in the 27 against UConn. He has that breakout moment. And everybody's got him leaving Seton Hall for the NBA again. I mean, can, can we just, it, when a Seton Hall player has a great game, can we stop with, there it is, there's potential, he's gone. Can stop, stop. You know, Mike, I think this transitions nicely to a, a debate that was going on online. Uh, you know, we've bemoaned the fact that Seton Hall, the Seton Hall's assist numbers have been pathetic this year. And I mean, the last time we quoted that number, I think it was like ranked 350th in the country out of like 358. So it was, it was 353 out of 358 on percentage of baskets assisted or percentage of baskets made, you know, that, that were generated by an assist. I think we were in the 320s in total assists per game. So, so they so just the, right about this huge debate of, well, what has to change for that to get better? And, and I, I hate this statistic. It's just we don't pass the basketball to each other. Period. Right. Well, that, that, that's what but, it comes down to. But the debate came back saying we're also we also have one of the higher percentages of free throws attempts during the games. And they they tried to have some sort of correlation between these two numbers. We're and, to, and, they were trying to defend the numbers. It was BS. I'm sorry. It was BS the way the number I, I, was being defended. Absolutely. But I know you. I know you love your stats. Couldn't, and couldn't I said, let it go. Mikey, couldn't let it go, Tom. So I decided to go back and watch it a second time myself. And instead of looking for other little nuggets, I just sat there and charted every assist and every shot attempt for the entire game. So I'm going to give you the breakdown of four elements of shots that were attempted. I'm going to give you shots made off of a pass. I'm going to give you shots made off of one-on-one -on -one ISO. I'm going to give you how many baskets we put back on offensive rebound attempts and the number of times that we got to the free throw line because a pass set up the pirates. And I, I thought it was eye popping, but also not, not surprising. Guess what? When you share the basketball, good things happen. So Seton hall took 22 shot attempts in this game when they were set up by a pass. And guess what? They made 13 of them. They shot 59% in this game when they shared the basketball. But when they went ISO one-on-one, -on -one, they took, 35 shot attempts in ISO one-on-one -on -one situations and only made six, 17%. They made four out of nine on offensive rebound putbacks. 
the, but the stat that bothered me is they're saying, hey, look, if if Seton Hall were to receive a pass and then get foul going to the basket and then they make two free throws, that doesn't credit the team with an assist. Right. So if if we were getting credit for assists for all these free throws that we take, because we take a lot of free throws as a team, our assist numbers might be higher. Well, Seton Hall went to the free throw line on 10 different occasions in this game. And of those 10 trips to the line, only three were set up by a quality pass. The other seven times was either the other team fouling us late in the game and being over the limit or a player going one-on-one ISO or getting an offensive rebound and going back up and getting fouled. Our passes were not setting up all the free throw attempts. Only 30% of the time were our passes setting up free throw attempts. So that not increasing our free or our assist rate throughout the game. We're not a good three-point shooting team. Don't give me, hey, if we make our three-pointers more, our our assists would go up. We're taking 50% more ISO attempts in this game than we did in sequences where we passed the basketball. We're going to talk about Marquette in the rematch coming up. They share the basketball. They're shooting a high percentage in threes. Why? Because they're getting guys good quality open looks by sharing the ball. Bottom line is throw all the percentages out the window. This team doesn't pass. This team plays ISO basketball, and on certain nights when the other team is locked in on D, you're going to shoot 34%. I just can't believe they won shooting 34%. Tommy, but but before before we move on, I I want to look at you probably the the grumpy Eeyore here because we did win. But sometimes there's a win where you're like, I'll take the win, but I'm still throwing the video in the trash, or I'm going to try to take certain things to learn from it. I'm just concerned that the ISO basketball – some of the struggles from Roden and Kadari, we, we got to break out of that. But we also need to break out of some of the low basketball IQ type plays because when you play against better competition, those teams are going to make you pay for it. You're telling me that when you went back and watched this game, you weren't frustrated by Kadari Richmond giving a foul at the end of the half, knowing that he's got nobody to back him up the point guard? Why is he giving a foul there for a second foul? What's funny is even the announcers made a comment about uh, making sure that the right guy makes the foul at that point. And, and yes, that was frustrating. Not as, being nice. not as frustrating though, Michael, as miles kale stepping on the sidelines twice well, as he you, was you... Get, catching passes on wings. Mike, is this some sort of like new thing these days? Because no, I don't no. recall this happening growing up. Maybe it's the maybe it's the amount of three pointers now that it gets shot, so the guys are out there more. But I don't recall people standing on the sidelines this much. But let's be honest, Tommy. When you grew up, your game was not good enough to run to the three point line on a fast I break. I didn't say my game, Michael. So I when said we, when we were younger, pr- prior to Terry DeHair kind of starting the revolution. When did you run to the three-point line on a fast break? It just, that wasn't the way the game was played. Now you're running to the corner or you're running to the three-point line on a fast break and they push the line out. So there's just not that much room on the sideline to get there. So if you're, you know, you're not gathering yourself properly and let's just be fair, Miles has never done that well. So we say Miles is who he is. Miles steps on the sideline. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, look, you did pretty good last year, but it's back. It's back. Yeah, You know what? You know what's back? Well, it's not back, but but it, it it came out again in this game is Jameer Harris's lack of confidence. How do you get trapped and then throw the ball underneath your own basket 
And he, he compounded it by fouling the opponent. And luckily they missed two free throws. So it didn't hurt them on the scoreboard, but that's just like a, you know, when you get trapped one-on-one, don't throw it back underneath your basket. I, I just, I, I, and on top of that, late in the game, Miles Kale fouling Champagne. He played great defense on Champagne the entire time, but you're up by eight late with what, like a, a minute and a half to go. They bleed the shot clock down under 10. Let the guy finish his, his difficult attempt at three. Why you, even Spartacles said it. How many three-point shots do you block? Or how many have you ever seen get blocked by a guard trying to close out on a, what, what's Champagne? Six, seven? Something like that. Six, yeah. seven forward. I mean, how many times are you going to get a block there? Close out, let the guy land. That was a difficult three. I, I, I just. And he dove at him too. It's small like, things, it's small like, things where you add like up all was, these plays that, that could have been another eight points or more for St. John's. And sometimes that's the difference in these close games. So I just, I want to see this team get better. They got the win. I want to see Roden get jump started. I want to see Kadari be a little more efficient. I want to see us pass the ball more. And yeah, I want to clean up the low basketball IQ type plays. I just, I just do. You know, you did mention Jim Spinarkle on the mic, and I was very excited to see him. But fitting to this game, you had the good with the bad. We also had Dave Sims on the mic. And, yeah, Dave is Dave's a, a tough listen, in my opinion. But, you know, Jim Spinarkle had, had, had some good moments, no? Yeah, four minutes to go in the first half, and they flashed up the big three for St. John's, and, you know, their numbers were – are obviously struggling at that point. And he goes, I think one of these teams can win shooting 40%. They better be ready to do everything you need to win. And little did he know that the winning team was going to shoot 34%. But I mean, I think Jim was trying to get to the point of, hey, sometimes there's going to be nights where you don't have your A game shooting the basketball and you got to find other ways to contribute. And, and I think that's a smart comment. I, I always like what Jim brings to the table. I know he had a he had a couple of missteps that we picked on him early in the year, but Jim normally shows up in the mic drop segment, not the mic flop segment. However, oh, Dave Sims, Dave Sims is, is one of those guys that just makes my ears bleed, Mike. We, you know, so, so, so let me ask you this: when we prep for one of these shows, and especially when we're previewing another team, I I think we know Biggie's basketball pretty well, but we come across some new names where you're like, how do you say that guy's name, right? And people, you know, butcher Mamu Kelashvili over the years. We get that. But you're the play-by-play guy, and, and Dave's no rookie, right? Dave's been around the block. Oh, Isn't it your job when you do your prep before a telecast to know, especially the more key guys on a team? Adai Wusu is a top three player for St. John's. Don't you need to know how to pronounce those guys' names? You it's would, like calling Champagne Champagne. You, you can't would, do that, right? You got, you got to know how to say the name. So the fact that he said Adi Wusu all game drove me nuts. You know, you would think so. I I give him a bit of a pass for the pronunciation issues. I know how you kind of come up and you see a name on the paper and you're just like, oh, that's going to be a rough one to get out of your mouth. But yes, he's, he's got access to these people. He should be saying, hey, Mr. SID of St. John's, how do I say this? Let me write it out phonetically so I get this right going forward. But it's more his observations that drive me crazy, Mike. You know, with about a minute to go, he gets this chestnut. The offense was struggling in the first half. It has definitely picked up here in the second. Well, at that point, the score was 60-54 to 54 with a minute to go. That, that's rock fight territory. And, and the great part is in the second half, Seton Hall 
scored itself 32 points and shot 35%. And St. John's had scored 26 points and they had shot 25%. Nothing offensively was picked up in this game, Michael. <laughs> no, I, I, I think these announcers reach. They're trying to kind of paint a narrative and, and you hate me for my narratives. So, I mean, I, I, I don't see why it would be any different trying to evaluate Dave Sims in his effort here. Uh, but speaking of narratives, Tom, Seton Hall, needs to get back on track. They need to build that resume. They got to worry about where they're going to kind of position themselves for the NCAA tournament. And this week, you know, they're they're not going to be cracking the top 25 off of that victory at St. John's, but they got some help from their two marquee victories that have been kind of struggling in terms of beefing their resume. Hey, I know Texas lost at home to K-State, but they did get another win this week and they're having their net hold somewhat strong at 19, but Texas will not be a top 25 team when the new polls come out. Seton Hall fans are just going to have to accept that. And Michigan is not going to break back into the top 25 either, even though they did get a 19-point victory against Maryland and then backed it up with an 18-point road victory at Indiana after, after Indiana knocked off Purdue just the other day. So I was getting concerned that maybe Michigan's net was going to fall out of that top 75 and not even be a quad one road victory. But those two wins should kind of stabilize. That kind of gets them to a 54 or holds them steady at a 54. Look, I I don't think these are going to be world beater wins. But when you look at a team like St. John's and the resume that they built, yeah, we're going to be pretty happy that we have that Texas and Michigan win at the end of the season. They're just not going to be as sexy as they were back in November in December at this point. Well, the good thing is, Mike, we've got two very winnable games, both at home this week. We got the Johnnies again on Monday night at Walsh, and Marquette comes into the Rock on Wednesday. And what better way to preview that game against the Golden Eagles than to bring in one of the men who cover them on a day-to-day basis? He covers the Marquette Golden Eagles basketball team and other sports for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates, Ben Steele. Ben, how are you this evening? What's up, guys? It's always good to talk to you. uh, I feel like I'm a Hall of Fame guest at this point. (laughs) You are absolutely a Hall of Fame guest, but I got to tell you, Ben, we've got a little bone to pick with you, my friend. Oh, what's up? As you are one of our favorites, I tend to go around and I read your stuff. And, I, you know, I love your stuff, Ben. I love you. I love John Miyatawa. We, we read all this stuff. But I got to tell you, man, I was a little disappointed with your coverage after the last Seton Hall Marquette game. This was an exciting game. You know, kind of a controversial finish. And you yeah. describe it as drawing contact. <laughs> I think it's Jim drew contact with the guy's elbow. Ben, how could you describe it in such fashion? Tommy, I said, don't go there. I said, don't put Ben <laughs> on the spot at the top of the episode like that. Don't turn him off on us here. Yeah, no, I know it was controversial. Yeah, I, you know, I can see it after you guys got to understand. I, I don't have the benefit of the uh, instant replays when I'm when I'm doing the game. I'm you know a hundred yards away. I don't get the full slow motion visual replays that you guys get at home. So I that that that's where I cut myself a little slack on that. Look, it it was not a popular call. I mean I know it looks like an offensive foul to the, the naked eye on instant replay, but I think we talked about it on our podcast. You don't put yourself in that kind of situation on the road where you can leave it in the hands of the referee 
Seton Hall had chances to kind of, you know, extend the lead late with about four or five minutes to play. They let Marquette hang around. And sometimes the ball's just not going to bounce your way or you don't get a friendly whistle. So yeah. I, I give Greg Elliott all credit in the world for the ref to have to make a call. And it just did not go in the Pirates favor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're just right, giving let, you let, a little grief, man. We, yeah. we, we, you're still one of our favorites, buddy. I expect it. I expect it coming on here. But that end result, that end result keeps the Marquette Golden Eagles red hot. That was their fourth straight win. And then they parlayed that, that into two more on top of that, including the win at Nova and the revenge game today versus Xavier. So that puts them at 14 and six overall, six and three in Biggie's play, third in the conference standings. I know there, there's a couple more games at hand right now uh, for UConn that's ahead of the four and two in the standings, but you know what? I don't think anybody saw the Golden Eagles to be this far advanced under first-year coach Shaka Smart uh, as we kind of get to the midway point in Big East play. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this team, it's hard to hard to remember it now, but this team was 0-3 in the Big East, you know? Now they've won six in a row, um, three straight against ranked opponents. They've won five games overall this season against ranked opponents. That's the most of any team in college basketball. It's pretty amazing that, you know, the year one under Shaka Smart, that the success can come this quickly. Um, they got a team of nine newcomers. Um, I didn't see it. I, I thought that, you know, look, Shaka Smart's a good basketball coach, right? We got 13 years of evidence to, to prove that, but I didn't think that he could work this kind of wonders with a team that, brought in nine newcomers and didn't have a go-to score and they've kind of just figured it out. And now they're playing great defense, that traditional shock of smart in your face, rugged defense. And yeah, it's been impressive. It's been impressive that the team that that is playing right now, that's won six in a row, they look completely different than the team that was playing in November, which is crazy to say. Yeah. But the team in November acquitted itself really well, Ben. I mean, people forget that they had the Illinois win at home yeah. and Illinois was ranked 10th in the nation. Yeah. The West Virginia win a solid neutral court result. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, now that Kansas state is getting back to full yeah. strength a win at Kansas state is probably going to hold quad one status yeah. throughout the rest of the season. So, I mean, I'm looking at on paper right now at this Marquette resume in terms of the big dance of theirs to kind of lose in yeah. terms of, seating position or being in the tournament altogether and here's a team that was picked at the bottom half of the big east so i mean a a lot of respect needs to go out to this program and what they've accomplished so far yeah i mean you look at just the numbers you see six losses and you kind of dismiss them a little bit but then you look at the six loss they don't have any bad losses whatsoever they're you know they lost to saint bonaventure at the tournament in charleston saint bonaventure was was ranked at the time we lose a road game at Wisconsin, traditional rival. Um, Wisconsin's a top five team, top 10 team. Lose at UCLA again at home. And then the three Big East games to start the, the conference tournament run at Xavier, home at UConn, home to Creighton in double overtime. That's probably one that they, of all the ones that they wish they could have back, they could have uh, won that one pretty easily. So yeah, I, the resume is is really 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 strong yeah they they have the most quad wins quad one wins of any team in the nation which is <laughs> again that's just crazy to say right now all right so so we talked about this tom and i in our last podcast prior to seton hall marquette matchup about how quickly shaka smart has turned things around and expectations because he was really criticized mm-hmm. for his lack of tournament success yeah maybe, maybe people were like oh he's the fallback job or he was running away from opportunity where they're probably gonna push him out the door 
But I've always said that this just might be a better landing spot for him. He can now recruit his ties, play yeah. his kind of, not have to maybe cater to the top 50, maybe I hate to even say it, prima donna type recruit. <laughs> Guys are going to buy into yeah. him, you know, his full court, hard, hard, hard nose, energy, digging on defense type play, which made him really successful for you, right? So yeah. is that the, the mirror success expect as he goes forward here? in his biggies career. Yeah, I, th I think so. Um, if you allow me to, to plug a story that I did for the Milwaukee journal Sentinel, um, I talked to some guys that played for Shaka at, at Texas and VCU um, just about just asking them where are they surprised that Shaka's had this kind of this level of success in his, in his first year at Marquette. And they say that this is the best version of Shaka that they've seen because it's the underdog Shaka. He's got like a, a, a chip on his shoulder. And he's a, he's actually mentioned those words several times Shaka has in, in press conferences this year, saying that he's, he always coaches with a chip on his shoulder and, and it's big now just because, you know, he had success so early in his in his career, his coaching career at, at VCU, getting to the Final Four his second year. Uh, like he was the hottest name in, in college coaching. And, and he mentioned the lack of NCAA tournament success at uh, Texas. But I mean, he had some really good teams at Texas. You know, they won the the Big Twelve tournament title. I mean, they won the NIT. I know that's people kind of dismiss that, but um, and he just ran into some some weird kind of luck too in the NCAA tournament. Got beat on a buzzer beat, half court buzzer beater his first year. Uh, one point losses here and there. So, you know, if you're going to judge a, and I I know NCAA tournament wins are the biggest thing, but judging a coach strictly on tournament records, kind of a little bit dicey. You got to look at the overall body of success, you know, but uh, so I, Ian, he, he's definitely coaching with a chip on his shoulder. I can tell you that. No, I get all that. But when you're a three seed in Texas, yes. they don't expect you to lose to the 14, right? And that yes, happens. That's true. It, it does happen. There's going to be more accountability and disappointment uh, at a program like Texas when that happens. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about guys exceeding expectations here. In addition to shock of smart, Justin Lewis has taken mm -hmm. quite the jump in his more season. You know, we saw that from the six, seven forward, you know, in just playing third game as a collegiate, he's getting the tip in against crosstown rival Wisconsin yeah. in the non-conference last year. So you saw the potential. He led them three at Villanova, Finneran Pavilion. That's the first time in 21 Big East conference game that Villanova has lost there. And he just took over down the stretch, yeah. scoring their final seven points including that crazy three-pointer with 12 seconds to go. With performances like this from Lewis, is he vaulting himself into first conference contention here? I I think so. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a really – you could always see the talent with Justin. Like, he's 6'7", he's got long arms, big hands. He was a good rebounder. The uh, thing that's different about him this year it, in, in Shaka's system, he's playing uh, more on the perimeter – so you see him taking a lot more three-point shots, three-point attempts. And he really struggled it on that early in the season. But now he's starting to fall down. Like today against uh, Xavier, he was four of seven from three. He scored uh, 20 points. Um, so he's he's really expanded his game. And he's kind of become like a like a, a, a matchup nightmare. You know, he's like he's big and he's strong. And he's got those long arms that I was talking about. So he can like, if he gets a smaller guy on him, he can back you down and and score in the paint but he he can also knock down shots and he's, he's really good in the mid-range he's an awesome rebounder he had uh 13 rebounds today against xavier so yeah he's just a complete he's 
he's he's a complete all around player, and I I see him vaulting up into uh, like NBA draft conversations just because of his 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 physical talent is is that good. He's certainly not the only one for the Golden Eagles that's stepping up, and Seton Hall fans can attest to this. Daryl Morsel, fifth mm-hmm. year senior. He was the 2020-21 Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He's averaging 13.6 points a game, three and a half rebounds, two and a half assists. But, you know, he's really stepping up big this year. You know, prior to this year, he never broke the 20-point barrier, but already he's done it five times, including 21 against Illinois, 22 against Ole Miss, and, like I mentioned, 26 against Seton Hall. How important is it that he stepped up to give them a consistent second scoring option to go with his elite defense? Yeah, that's, that's been, that's been absolutely huge for Marquette this year. Like, like everyone else, I just knew Daryl as kind of a, a, a role guy, just a defensive stopper. Uh, I, he actually played against Marquette um, at the Orlando Invitational a couple of years ago, Marcus Howard's senior year. And he actually did the best defensive job that I've ever seen of anyone guarding Marcus Howard in college. And I watched most of Marcus, Marcus's games up close firsthand held him to like 12 points on like five for 17 shooting. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like that. Um, but I didn't know him as an offensive player, but I, I think that's what kind of drew him to, to take this extra season of eligibility and, and transfer to Marquette. Cause he thought he could expand his game more show that he he's actually an offensive player. He was hurt last year a lot at, at Maryland. Uh, he had a sol- shoulder surgery, so that kind of kept him out of working out for pro teams. So coming back to college was the best option for him just to kind of show um, that he's healed and that he's better and then transferring to a different school and showing the complete skill set. I think that's what appealed to him. And, yeah, he's got – he's not a great shooter. He's, he's good in the mid-range. What he's been really good at is kind of – when Marquette's struggling to score, which has happened a lot um, this season, like they go to Daryl is kind of like a, they go to the bully ball. He kind of like, he's so much, he's so strong and, and powerful. He kind of puts his head down and, and gets the basket and, and gets the, he scored a lot of crucial buckets for Marquette this year. I think Quincy McKnight might take you to task over some of those comments there, Ben. I know Uh-oh. Marcus had his fair share of good games against mm-hmm. Quincy, but Quincy had a couple of good true. games where he held his own as well. But no, so those are some uh, intense battles back in the day. So, yeah, but I think McKnight wants his due as well. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll, I'll give Quincy McKnight his, his props for sure. <laughs> All right. Speaking of props, here's, here's a new name that fans are probably not familiar with coming into this year. You got Tyler Kolick, mm-hmm. you know, sophomore transfer out of George Mason, a-10 rookie of the year. You know, his game is not flashy on the offensive side, but then you look up and he's leading the Big East at 6.4 assists per game. Yeah. And I, I know he struggled a bit in their first game versus Seton Hall, one of seven from the floor, three turnovers. But then you look down at the box score and he tallies seven assists again. You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to beat you with his scoring. He no. shoots 30% from the floor and under 23% from three. But Shaka really trusts him. He's, he's given him yeah. 30 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. Why does he feel like he's the right fit to run the point in this offense? Tyler's really awesome to watch run pick and rolls because he's just – he's so smart at reading defenses, just like reading the help. Um, he's great at like throwing cross-court passes when, you know, the guy on the, the weak side kind of helps down to help on the roller guy. Um, he's good at getting into the paint and – dumping it off to 
either of the big guys for Marquette, either Kirkweth or Oso Iguodaro for, for dunks around the basket. He's just got great passing vision and instincts. And he's not, I, he played at George Mason last season and I think he played a lot more off the ball and he was known more as a spot-up shooter and his shooting really a struggle. He's really struggled from three this year. Um, so if that part of his game gets unlocked, like it's just, he's just going to get even better because defenses are going to have to play him for a shot too. Now they're playing him strictly as a passer, um, but he's still, yeah, like you mentioned, he's still leading the, the big East in assists and he's just, yeah, he's just fun to watch. And he looks kind of like, he doesn't look like much. He looks like a kid that's showing up for the JV game, you know, but he comes out there and he, he's scrappy and just got great passing vision. He's, he's been really fun to watch this year. We kind of compared him to a, a Doug Gottlieb back in the day. Doug never hmm. kind of scared you with his jump shot, yeah, but you'd always good... look up and somehow he was averaging, you know, eight or nine assists to lead the nation nonetheless. Yeah, that's so, a good I mean, comparison. So we talked about three main components to this team's success, but what's really kind of caught my eye is that from game to game, they're getting contributions from so many different players in so many different ways. You know, you got Greg Elliott scoring 25 points versus DePaul. You got uh, Omax Prosper putting in 22 in the winning versus Georgetown. You got O Iguodaro's 22 points. And unfortunately, the OT loss versus Creighton, where they probably could have come out on the positive side of that game. Mm -hmm. And then you got Kirk Koth and his five blocks versus Illinois. So, like you said, a young roster, you know, you got three sophomores, three freshmen in the regular rotation. You know, do you truly believe that this roster could go as deep as it's kind of been so far and as successful in its depth? Uh, Yeah, I kind of figure that just the way that, that, Shaka likes to play, likes to get up and down, play at a fast tempo that you're going to need a lot of guys to, to play that style. It's just like physically demanding. You got to be in elite shape just to, just to play that way. So going 10, I figured they would go about 10 deep, which is what, what he's doing. Um, sometimes an 11th guy gets, gets minutes here and there when they need a spark. Yeah. It's uh, you've touched on it a little bit, but the most amazing thing about this Marquette roster, it's like, there's Justin Lewis's kind of become the go-to score when and and they also go to daryl like i mentioned when they need a bucket but lots of different guys have stepped up you mentioned all the guys like five different guys have, have had 20 point games and they really share the ball that's what's uh pretty amazing like during this win- winning streak i think in almost all the games they've they've notched almost 20 assists as a team in in all those victories so they're, they're really sharing the ball and they know how to find the hot hand that's what that's what's been impressive What's an assist? We, we don't know what an assist is here over at C-Ball. <laughs> yeah. Mikey, stop sorry, it. it. was too easy. It was too easy, Tommy. I'm uh, sorry. You, what, you mentioned how hot they've been. Obviously, six wins in a row, but what we noticed was they've also been hot from downtown. Now, you'll forgive us. We don't have today's stats yet, but in the first five Big East wins, they were shooting 43.5% from three points, making almost 11 per game. And if you look at the games where they struggled, the nine prior to that, where they only went three and six, mm-hmm. the only significant win was a one-point grinder at K-State where they yeah. shot 29% from three. Yeah. So is it just as simple as slowing them down from deep as, as your winning formula? Yeah, and I think, you know, Shaka, Shaka's teams like to play fast and they like to get shots up early and often. And I think early in the season, the Marquette was a little less discriminatory and like the shots they were taking. 
Uh, now they've kind of like figured out who the guys that they want to take threes are. And the guys who have struggled have kind of not shot as much as they did early in the season. So that's kind of helped out the, the team's percentage. And, and Greg Elliott's just been on like a heater. He came in today's game um, 52% on threes for the season. Um, let's see what he shot today. I think he shot one for two on threes today. So he's still above 50% on the season. But yeah, if he, this, this really wasn't a good three-point shooting team early in the season, but the percentage of, percentages have just gone up and up through all the games. And that's what's helped them undoubtedly in this winning streak. So if, if teams can figure out a way to, to slow them down, that, that could definitely help. All right, Tommy, today's stats, that they weren't too shabby either. 10 of 27, it's not going to jump off the page at 43%, but 37% clip when you're basically shooting 45% of your attempts from distance, you're probably going to have a pretty winning formula when you're hitting double-digit threes on most nights. So they, they continue to stay hot back there, if you ask me. As a Seton Hall fan, I would take that those numbers in a heartbeat. But, you know, <laughs> that – Lots of new faces on both sides of the court here between mm-hmm. Seton Hall and Marquette. And and I, for my money, this has been as good a rivalry over the past few years yeah. as any. There have been close games. There have been extracurricular activities, yeah. if you will. and, and Controversial calls. Controversial calls, like we mentioned. And it made me sad a little bit that Wojo's gone because I really don't hate this team anymore. You know, <laughs> I've got nothing to dislike here, but was there anything that particularly stood out of the first game as a takeaway that you could bring up? Uh, yeah, just that Marquette really struggled in the uh, second half, especially I think they started in the second half, like one for 15 on shots. So Seton Hall kind of really frustrated them, just kind of mucked it up a little bit. And, and that's how Seton Hall got back in the game. Uh, so I think they could expect to see a lot more of that, that physical defense when the team's meeting Newark. So I think Marquette's definitely going to have to be ready for that. You know, Seton Hall was plus 21 on the rebounding side. Mm, What is Marquette going to try to do to try to make those more even? Yeah, that's another area where Marquette has has really struggled this season, and they haven't really quite figured it out. Like Kirkweth and Osoe Godaro, the the centers, they're more of the uh, skinny, kind of springy type, uh, and they can be pushed around on the boards. And you saw that, like you mentioned, against Seton Hall, um, against the bigger bodies. Um, and Justin Lewis is probably Marquette's best rebounder, but like I, like I said before, he's playing a lot more on the perimeter. So it's kind of takes him away from, from the boards on, on both sides of both ends of the court. Uh, that's, that, that's an area of, yeah, that's a, Seton Hall definitely got more second chance points in that game. And I think it wasn't just the rebounds too. I think Seton Hall was pouncing on the loose balls better than Marquette was in that game. That helps Seton Hall get back in the game. Um, it's that that's been an ongoing issue with with Marquette this season is securing uh ending defensive possessions by securing the rebound well but but conversely they really up the tempo and up the pressure that they yeah. put on Seton Hall's backcourt Seton Hall now in back-to-back games 19 turnovers versus Marquette 17 versus St. John's two teams that like to play you know full court pressure give you know make you work the 94 feet and potentially not having Bryce Aiken back mm. in the concussion protocol. Do we expect yeah. smart to kind of make Kadari Richmond have to go that full 38 minutes and make it almost like, you know, 40 minutes of hell yeah. without really having a backup point guard to give him a rest. Yeah, definitely. I think you can expect to see that um, like this. People remember Shaka smart as from his havoc, you know, with 
what they called a havoc defense at, at VCU. It's it, the way he plays now is not quite that in your face, just because he says that referees don't allow you to that kind of physical contact anymore that they did over a decade ago. So it's more of a just kind of slow you down, throw you occasional uh, traps just to make you just always keep you thinking and make you make constant decisions and then and take time off the shot clock. That's really what Marquette's pressure does to you. And yeah, if 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 your point guard's out, then they're definitely going to take advantage of that. All right. So we've talked about a lot of positive contributions for the Golden Eagles. Obviously, Justin Lewis, you know, is the marquee name, but what is the matchup that you would kind of lock into here and say, all right, if Seton Hall gains the edge, you know, possible win for the Pirates or vice versa, if the Golden Eagles get the, this performance out of X player, they'll probably come out on top. Yeah, it's probably Daryl Morcel, like we mentioned. Uh, whenever he scored, whenever, when, when he's good scoring, that's when um, Marquette has been probably at its best. And, you know, Seton Hall's got that, that really good collection of wings with, with Roden and, and Kale and all those guys. So Senal definitely has the the personnel that can frustrate Daryl. Um, so that that's always the matchup that I'm going to be looking for when these two teams meet. All right. We've already talked about a lot of keys, the golden Eagles shooting well from three point range, Seton Hall pounding the glass, Marquette turning over the pirates. Give me one more key to success for the golden Eagles to come out on top. Oh yeah, it's. I think it's always when when Marquette's at its best. Like I mentioned, if they get twenty or more assists, that's when you know the offense is humming and they, they're really sharing the ball. That's what I always look to when I when I check the box scores of Marquette games. All right, Ben, you know what a drill. We're gonna put you on the spot here, and and we could probably guess what's gonna happen because I don't think you've picked Seton Hall yet over the past two <laughs> years that we've had you on. Give us a prediction. What's gonna happen? Oh, I think. Man, I'll, I'll let you do this, Ben. You give me a prediction with Bryce Aiken back. You give okay. me a prediction without Bryce Aiken. How about that? All right, Bryce Aiken back. I'd say Seton Hall looking for revenge. I think they can take this one. Marquette's already, you know, Marquette's in a brutal seven-game stretch where they're playing all the tough teams in the Big East. And I was expecting them like to go two and five. That would be a big win for Marquette. Now they're already three and zero at the beginning of this seven-game stretch. So. They got to crash down to earth eventually, I think. So, I, you know, you know what? Give me, give me Seton Hall in both both instances, aching in, aching out. I'll t- I'll take Seton Hall just to to get a measure of revenge at home. Oh wow! All right, didn't see that one coming. Wow! Wow! Well, Ben, as always, we can't thank you enough for coming on and and sharing your thoughts with us. You're always one of our favorites, and we we just wish you nothing but the best going forward. Awesome. Sounds like I should uh, ask for a raise next year. <laughs> What's 10 times Ben's nothing? Deal, everybody. <laughs> All right, man, guys, appreciate it. Always like to talk to you guys. All right, Michael, like I mentioned, we've got two games that are very winnable this week. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I want to support you in your crusade here. We got the Seton Hall game of St. John's in Walsh Gymnasium. Uh, it's going to be predominantly all students. I know there's going to be some VIP season ticket holders that are going to sneak in a couple of tickets here and there. And there's 50 tickets each for the players of and family members of both teams. But Tommy, Tommy, we got to get the streamers, get the streamers, Michael. I mean, all, all kidding aside. I mean, Carino puts out his article. People are responding on Twitter. There's, there's historical references to the streamers. If there was a time to bring out the streamers, 
now is the time to bring out the streamers, right? You know, without getting too far into St. John's, though, Mike, since we had just seen them on Saturday, I'll tell you this. Kevin Connolly, who came on to uh, do a little behind enemy lines, said the following. We asked him uh, what he thought was the key to victory for the Johnnies, and he said he needed Champagny and he needed Posh Alexander to play like superstars. And I thought it was kind of a cop-out answer, to be honest with you. Of course you need your best players to play like they're your best players. But son of a gun, did the Johnnies look bad when those two players were struggling out there. Yeah, but we we struggled too, right? Roden scores six, Kadari goes three of 19, and we won the game also. So but we I, get guys that stepped up. The Johnnies didn't get anybody to step up. You got one guy to step up. Miles Kale stepped up. Yetna Miles stepped Kale up too. Kale stepped up. Yetna stepped up. Ike was a beast on the boards. Tyrese put some numbers up from the bench. Don't give me this. Nobody stepped uh, up, I'm, Michael. I'm just saying you're being naive if you think that those four guys are going to have the same low output production for both sides again in this one. I go back to, once again, St. John's wants to push pace. They want to press you. They want to get out in transition. They want to make easy buckets. Hey, let's be fair. St. John's found opportunities to try to run in this game. They just missed a ton of -of out-of-control layup attempts in transition. So if Seton Hall plays... And let's be fair, Michael. Kadari Richmond missed a bunch of -of out-of-control layups in transition as well. I don't know if they were in transition. That's my that's my point here, right? So potentially, but still, a a missed layup out of control is a missed layup, pal. I just I don't want to give St. John's the opportunity to play the game at the pace in the '80s. I think if Seton Hall can keep St. John's in the '60s again, yeah, maybe we win another rock fight. But if we will hold St. John's to half court offensive basketball and you get one or two other guys to bounce back, I think Seton Hall could win this one very easily in a double-digit you know, type performance. You, you know yeah. what I smell, Mikey? I smell that St. John's fandom creeping out of you prior to your time at Seton Hall. That's what I smell. Making like- excuses for the Johnnies, always pounding on Seton Hall. I don't know about you anymore, Michael. I You're just suspect. said that I think Seton Hall's going to win this one easily here suspect. if you hold them to the half court. How how is that jumping on the St. John's bandway? I think St. John's is in big trouble. If you read all the social media stuff, they were attacking Mike Anderson. Zach Braziller didn't hold back with any of his commentary. I mean, right now they are in potential free fall mode. Their season really hinged on getting that win at home first and then trying to build upon it, play with that house money and get to against Seton Hall and try to turn things around. I think they're in big trouble. They might come out beyond desperate in this one, but I don't think they have the horses to do so. I I really do feel like this is Seton Hall's opportunity to consolidate that last victory and then head on to this marquee rematch against the Golden Eagles. I, I really do. You know, speaking of the Golden Eagles, they're coming to the Rock. We had a tight game out in Milwaukee with them a few weeks ago. But here's the difference, and we didn't talk about him yet this podcast outside of with, with Ben Steele, but there's a good shot that Bryce Aiken does not play this game. And- uh, come on, I can't, I can't believe we're going to go here. If it's Kevin Willard giving me injury updates, I take it with a grain of salt at this point, right? He had the concussion protocol situation that goes all the way back to last Saturday, and I, I get it. Concussions are tricky, Michael. Concussions are tricky. We don't know. Some people could recover in a few days, whether it's a couple weeks. Hey, we didn't think Miles Powell was back to his normal self the entire second half of that season. 
in the 19 and 20 campaign, but he still took the floor. I'd be surprised if Aiken is not at least back for the Marquette game. He might be cautious and hold him out for one more, but I think he's back for Marquette without any medical knowledge, a week and a half recovery from a concussion. I don't, it didn't seem like it was that bad. But like uh, you said, it didn't can, seem like it was that bad, but all of a sudden a week later, he's still not playing. Yeah, but he was, he was out there in warmups. He felt good to go. And Kevin's like, ah, but then he didn't pass the last checkpoint. I, one game at a time here. Well, let's so see what happens in St. John's. You're saying this is an amputation type situation. No, we're, no, it's St. John's. You already gave me your prediction. We're oh, we going to pour some, the- we're going to pour some holy water on Bryce's head now and, and get him. Come on. Uh, I'm going to assume Bryce is back. If, if they don't have Bryce back for the Marquette game, it's, Clearly going to be uh, a challenge to pull off that game. But uh, let, let's go with the assumption that Bryce is back. How do you like their chances in that one? I know I know, Ben gave us the victory no matter what, but. I, I don't like, I don't have a good feeling about that. Ben never picks Seton Hall to win these games. I think he's trying to reverse mush us like you normally do. But in all seriousness, Marquette and Seton Hall went down to the wire in Milwaukee. I don't see why there's any kind of difference at the rock. I think it's going to be one of those exciting games. I think it's going to be close. And I think the pirates pull it out. I mean, you can flip it however you want to flip it. They shot 50% from three point range, 11 out of 22, but Aiken went nuts and scored 28. So they could sit there and go, Hey, we might not shoot lights out from three point range, but you didn't have the guy that put in almost 30. I think every Seton hall game takes on a different narrative, but the bottom line is I think they need to dominate on the glass like they did in that Marquette game. Dude, they, they were plus 21 and they lost. How many times do you go plus 21 on the glass and lose? But they're starting to kind of – I realize that that's part of their identity. So stick with that. Crush this team on the glass and close out on those three-point shooters. Force them to beat you in the paint and challenge Obiagu. So I think if they hold them into that 35% range from three-point from three point land, and Seton Hall dominates them on the glass again. Once again, you're home. You got to hold serve when you're at home. Kevin loves to complain about the schedule and all the pauses and all the reschedules. But the way things are going to line up now, he's going to get four out of his next five at home. And the one road game, Tom, is at Georgetown. You got to run that slate. I know it's not easy to go five and five and oh in any stretch of conference play. But they really kind of need to at least go four and one. It starts by winning these two. So, so Michael, th- am I hearing correctly, or do I do I have to go get a check? Are you growing a spine? Did you just say we're getting a two and zero uh, two and zero week here, Michael? I, I got bigger aspirations for this team. I still believe that they can have these loftier goals. I want the two wins. I want back to five and four in conference play. I I believe the the Pirates are going to kind of get it back in gear. I think Bryce is going to be back. I think Roden's going to snap out of his spell. Everyone's going to start kind of falling into their role. We haven't seen Yetna jack up as many threes right now. We're getting the Yetna Delgado comparisons, not the Yetna three-point shooting. We're going to pump the brakes on that. But, you know, you're getting me excited, though, Mike. You're saying all these good things. Right. Well, I mean, you got Tyrese had a little spark again. I mean, everybody's hopefully kind of kind of fall into their role. And there's harmony with the team. No animosity over who's getting shots. And, and this team could still be very special. So it's, it starts with these two games at home. I'm dumbfounded. You actually said something nice about Tyrese. We got, I'm cutting you off, Mike, before you keep going here. 
This is exciting. We get to see one on Walsh at Monday night. Get the streamers ready. We get to see one on Wednesday at The Rock. We're going 2-0, and and we're going to be yelling, Go Pirates! Go Big Blue! Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle, at Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 